Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless Possible. Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined as always by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. G'day and hello to Annabelle Lee. Hello, g'day. Hello <laughs> to everyone. Coming up on today's show, Kendall Jenner's outfit to her best friend's wedding sparks an interesting debate on TikTok. How the bimbo summit of Paris Hilton, Britney Spears and Lindsay Lohan looks very different 15 years on. The Bachelorette couple that um, isn't actually a couple at all. And then, yes, we simply must talk about the cultural phenomenon of Taylor Swift's 10-minute version of All Too Well. But first, Michelle, how was your week? It was a good week. It was a busy week. I had a fight with my fiancé, Mitchell Rees, this week because he broke what I feel like is the most commonly known couple rule in that if you're watching a show together, you don't proceed without your partner. I literally got home and he's like, I fell asleep in front of the TV watching Morning Wars and I've watched two whole episodes and tried to use taking a nap as an excuse. But <laughs> So he wasn't paying attention. Well, well, this is what he told me, Annabelle. <laughs> he and lied. then when I watched them begrudgingly, I literally threw a tantrum. I'm like, I'm not watching this show anymore if you're going to go off without me. In fairness, the show's gone downhill. It's the, ele- <laughs> it's the elephant in the room. It has gone down a trash hill. <laughs> it has gone down a trashy, very dark hill. But... I said to him, okay, well, fine, I'll sit down and I'll watch it with you and you can prove to me you didn't say anything. He, like, forgot halfway through and would be like, oh, my God, watch watch this bit, watch this bit, this is really interesting. Or, like, do you see what Fred Micklin's doing with that phone there? And I turned to him, I'm like, you watched the whole thing, you did not fall asleep, you just, you're a fucking little scoundrel. I don't, this sounds very much like the excuse that one of our listeners' boyfriends gave that time where he couldn't upload an Instagram photo so said it didn't post. This is, I fell asleep in front of it so I watched it all. It's like, that doesn't make any logical sense. What do we think is a reasonable punishment for your partner going off without you? Because I was like, this is a very serious relationship law to break. Hmm. Probably just a a shrug of the shoulders and a move on, I think. (laughs) No, because it feels like 
our thing. And I'm like, how dare you ruin our thing by making it a you thing? You know what? The reason I'm probably a bit softer on this is this is so something that I <laughs> I, I can't come out hard and fast here. <laughs> what about your week? Uh, good week. I actually I came up with a bit of a theory this week, you know, just, just theories. And I decided <laughs> that looking at you and looking at Re, I told you this in the office, looking at Re in the office and you guys were talking about your childhood dogs. And I said, oh, yes. I actually kind of think there might be a correlation between who you are as a person and whether you had a big dog or a little dog growing up. I think the people that grew up with little dogs are a bit more, we called it emotionally porous. Emotionally porous. We let we let the world affect us and we wear our heart in our sleeves. Yes. I think people that grew up with big dogs are a little bit more emotionally Hardened. Hardened. Stoic. Stoic, yes. That's a much nicer way of putting it. I actually think you might be onto something here because I grew up with a series of little rat dogs, like dogs that are so small you're not even sure if they're dogs, and my family is incredibly emotionally sensitive. All four of us in my, like, siblings are the kind of people who could cry at the drop of a hat, will find an ad on television extremely emotional. My mum and my dad are pretty similar as well. And then Re, looking at Re as a person and a serial owner of big dogs, she would not do that. She would not cry at television ads and she's got it together all of the time. Well, it was funny. I came home and I told Ollie this brand new theory of mine and he said that, <laughs> that couldn't be less of a thing but it's a lovely little thought. <laughs> no. I was like, oh, my God, do you like it? I love it. I do think there's something in it, so come and tell us if it is true. What does it say about you that you've never had a dog? No Because you're in no dog. No <laughs> so emotionally poor, a small dog, emotionally hard and big dog, no heart, no dog. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck astrology. This is where it's at. <laughs> Genuinely. Now, a quick one, Mish. We have had an incredibly busy week this week for many reasons, namely because we've been spending the last sort of few weeks putting together our gift guide for the gifting period. We do not actually have recommendations for you because we got to this morning and we're like, all we've been doing is work and sleep a little bit yeah. and, and socialising, but we haven't been consuming that much and I don't want to recommend something for the shit of it. Do you know I actually went searching for something to recommend last night? I watched the What Happened to You, Brittany Murphy documentary oh. on Binge and I so badly wanted it to be good. Like I so badly wanted it to be something that I could jump on the podcast today and recommend. Let me give you an anti-recommendation. Do not watch that Brittany Murphy documentary. A lot of people have messaged us about that and said it was good. It was so sensationalised. Really? And like uh, not my really favourite thing in the world. Should I talk about what we actually were supposed to talk about now? Yeah, we were <laughs> talk about the gift guide because as I mentioned we have put out for the second year running our gift guide for you guys for a couple of reasons mm. we want to help you shop we also want to help you as much as you can shop local this year so with the help of our brand partners thanks to Foreo 11 Australia Clinique Stuff and Zonzo we've been able to put this together and been able to give you an opportunity as I said to shop local as much as you can this year yeah who needs recommendations when we've put literally like a hundred of them in a gift guide for you. So if you go to our website, shamelessmediaco.com, there's a banner up the very top of the website. Click on that, scroll through all of our favourite present ideas from terrific local brands 
And merry festive season because we also want to celebrate Zara by giving one lucky listener $500 to spend on the gift guide. Exactly. It is super easy to enter this competition. All you have to do is post an Instagram story of where you're listening to Shameless as you listen to it. We're going to give you, what, 24 hours, Mish? Yeah. So we didn't actually hours. decide on this. We, have, <laughs> we literally have not discussed a single part of this. 24 hours from when this episode drops. So this will end at 5 a.m. Melbourne time. I would love to be like A-E-S-T, but I... It's A-E-D-T, but that's fine. (laughs) A-E-D-T, Melbourne time. This will end at 5am on Friday, the 19th of November. All you have to do is tag us at Shameless Podcast to make sure it's in our feed and that we can actually see it. Make sure your profile is also on public. If you are on private, we cannot see it. But share a story in the next 24 hours. can be of this episode where you're listening, whatever you want it to be about the podcast, and you go in the running automatically to win $500 for your festive shopping. Yeah, how good is that? I know you've done a little bit of shopping in our own gift guide in the last couple of days. I bought four things in the space of 30 minutes. It is a good gift guide. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> also, discount codes. We didn't even mention that. Some of the discount codes offered on this gift guide are up to 25% off. So I was like, it'd be rude for me to not use my own gift guide. It would be (laughs) very rude. Hey, let's jump into the first segment of the show. We are starting with one of the more sugary, but also more interesting stories to come out of the news cycle this week. We are talking about Kendall Jenner and her best friend's wedding. Yeah, her best friend's name is Lauren Perez and she got married over the weekend. So she had Kendall as her maid of honour. Another bridesmaid was Bella Hadid. They both wore blue Beckenbridge dresses for the Miami ceremony on the beach. They were barefoot. And what a good shout out or what a good little gong for Beckenbridge as an Australian designer to celebrate. Yeah. I always get kind of happy when I see the Australian brands on my feed be like, hey, that was us. That was our stuff. I don't know why I have any sort of ownership over their success, (laughs) but I feel it. So what is the deal with the controversy about this wedding? Well, as we said, Kendall was a bridesmaid for the ceremony. For the reception, all the bridesmaids got changed into whatever they wanted to wear. And for the reception, Kendall wore this black dress from Minot's latest collection, which featured like these diamond-shaped cutouts all across her midriff, right? It was a beautiful dress. She looked very beautiful. But for those who haven't seen the dress, how would you describe it, Mish? A bit racy? Is that how my mum would describe it? (laughs) Yeah, probably not even a bit racy. I'd describe it as a very racy dress. I know a lot of listeners are probably imagining the cutouts that we see in a lot of fashion at the moment. Like obviously it's a huge trend to have a cutout around your midriff or around your tummy particularly at the moment, but this was not one cutout. Imagine someone had almost sliced this dress four or five times in between Kendall's neck and her hips. Like the entire torso was basically strings of fabric pulled together. And yes, it looked cool. And yes, it looked very on trend, very fashionable. But naturally people started to ask, it's a beautiful dress, but is it suitable for a wedding? I found one comment to be super interesting on TikTok where Kendall drew a lot of the criticism. It read, cute dress, but nothing could be worse for a wedding. All that money and no class or consideration for others. So that comment had 330,000 likes. And one thing I do want to touch on in that comment is I do feel like the class comment is a bit unfair and distracting. I think this has nothing to do, in my opinion anyway, with being classy or unclassy because I think this goes into a 
river of an argument about what makes a quote-unquote classy outfit for women and then it becomes a conversation about feminism and I don't think this has anything really to do with feminism. For me, I think it's really interesting because it does kind of raise a question of does it really matter what you wear to any wedding, let alone your best friend's wedding, on a day that is ostensibly meant to be about them and not about us. I think what's interesting and very specific to the relationship maybe between Lauren Perez and Kendall Jenner is that in every single part of her life, Kendall Jenner is the main character, right? She is one of the most famous women in the world. And I think what's naturally drawn criticism online is like for one day, could you not have played second fiddle? Well, Lauren Perez is supposed to be the main character on her own wedding day. And I think if you are wearing a dress to a wedding where you then become the crux of every headline, every social media post, every viral image, you have kind of done a disservice. Your role as maid of honour is not to be the main character for the day. And I think when you're wearing a dress that makes you such a focus of attention, you are kind of doing your bride a little bit dirty. Like this is the one time for Kendall Jenner to take the back seat to go, you know what? I'm the famous friend. I'm the friend on all the catwalks. I'm the friend with the television show and over a hundred million followers on social media. This is the day where I wear not an ugly dress, but just a, <laughs> put, a her non- in a put, her, put her in a nondescript dress. That is your role. I know you might not like it because you're a supermodel and you always want to look beautiful and the most hot in the room. You are not going to get that role today. You shouldn't assume that role. And to take that role and wear this dress, in my opinion, was just a mistake. Yeah, it's so funny because when I saw this story, I was like my head wants to say one thing and my heart wants to say another. My head wants to say, is this conversation a result of our intensity about weddings? And in reality, does it really matter what you wear to a wedding if it's what you'd wear to a nightclub or out for dinner? Like what is the difference? Like who does it hurt? And then my heart says... Kendall, what the fuck are you doing? Like go (laughs) gently and go quietly and let other people have their moment. Like I know that wedding culture, we've spoken about it on the podcast and we've spoken about it recently, is really intense. We know there's probably an unreasonable focus on weddings given the history of what they represent. Mm. But at the end of the day, if we really do want to strip this down, this is a party with someone at the centre where somebody else, who is the most famous person in the room, has made all the headlines for the dress that she's wearing. And I get to a point where I think I do agree with you. I'm like, it's so easy to not wear that dress. It's so easy to not. And if you're listening to us thinking, well, Kendall was going to get headlines anyway, I actually reject that. Hayley Bieber, Bella Hadid were all at this wedding and I know what they wore, but there weren't articles being written about it. It didn't dominate the news cycle or flood my TikTok for you page. Like you can wear a pretty dress without dominating the conversation. I do want to bring up one point that people made. This was a dress that she wore to the reception, as we said. Obviously, we know at the ceremony she wore a very respectful bridesmaid dress that Lauren Perez would have picked out for her. Does it change things that this was only to the reception dinner? Yeah, I think it certainly has less of an impact, right? I think if it was across both, maybe it would be a more serious quote-unquote crime. (laughs) But I still think it's like a thing. I really am trying to put myself in the shoes of someone like Lauren Perez and what I would actually think about this. We live in a world where there are a million million bigger issues than what your friends wear to your wedding. So I don't think I'd like lose sleep over it. I think I would just look at it and say, as perhaps I am now, okay, that's definitely not something that I would do. And you probably could have made a better decision, but I'm not going to kind of like ruin a friendship over this. Yeah. Well, people have also said Lauren Perez doesn't care. So why do you guys care? And I think that's operating (laughs) on a few assumptions. I think that's 
operating on an assumption that Lauren Perez knew exactly what Kendall Jenner was wearing to her reception. Of course, Lauren was across what she was wearing to the ceremony, but I'm sure she has a lot of shit going on, a lot of famous friends with huge wardrobes, access to stylists, constantly changing dress options and outfits. I'm not entirely sure Lauren Perez would know exactly what Kendall was wearing to her reception. And if she did, does every bride feel comfortable telling their friend not to wear something? Oh, yeah. I'm a people pleaser. I don't care that it's my wedding and it's supposed to be like one of the biggest days of my life. If you rocked up to my wedding in a dress that I was uncomfortable with, I would not vocalise that to you because I would feel like a bad friend. Yeah, I wouldn't say anything. I would be surprised if the majority of people would say something, Mm. truthfully. I mean, we can poll that tomorrow for Your Safe Friday to see if people actually would feel comfortable saying that. But I wouldn't because at the end of the day, you're told it's not that big of a deal so you don't feel like you have the power to. I think the other element here, again, I said at the top of this, I really don't think this conversation is about feminism because if a guy rocked up, I should say on the record, with like slits in his shirt (laughs) and his buttons undone, I'd be like, what are you doing, mate? (laughs) One thing to round this conversation out, Michelle, is... I'm imagining men rocking up to a wedding and like cut off shorts. Yeah, or just like big rips in their knees. Just like not a thing. No, some people have thrown around the theory that perhaps she has worn this to distract from the great big Travis Scott controversy that's been happening over the last couple of weeks after Astroworld. I just don't know if I agree with that. Like... I think surely the Kardashians would just put their head down when it comes to that and not try to make more headlines about themselves. Like as if they're sitting around a table saying, yes, Kendall, you wear this specific dress to your best friend's wedding so we don't talk as much about all those people that died at that music festival. Like it just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I agree. I think the Kardashians are calculated, but I don't think they're this calculated. I don't think Kris Jenner is sitting around with Kendall going, all right, we need a dress that's going to distract from 10 people, 10 people at the time of recording, dying. I also think conversations about Kendall in this dress have repeatedly brought up Astroworld. All of the comments on TikTok are about Astroworld or about the Kardashians being out at weddings partying when 10 different families are trying to bury their loved ones. This hasn't distracted. If anything, this has regurgitated a lot of that commentary about Astroworld to draw it into its second or third week. Coming up after the break, how the bimbo summit of Paris Hilton, Britney Spears and Lindsay Lohan looks very different 15 years on and the bachelorette couple that um isn't actually a couple at all. But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Zara will never wear a racy dress to my wedding McDonald. That what have you got for me? No best. You should have just gone Zara, no heart McDonald. I was going to oh, say no dog. Yeah. You'd be like missed key opportunities and I could <gasps> see the stress on your face. It was also so long. Like I was trying to it say wasn't it and my tongue, my tongue was working in overdrive. Oh, I'm like sweating now. I feel so much disappointment. Can we do a redo? No, we can't. My <laughs> first story. At her dreamy Bel Air wedding, Paris Hilton was the picture of American royalty. That is from Vogue. 
Big story this week in the world of Paris Hilton. Huge story. Paris Hilton married her partner, Carter Room. He is a venture capitalist on November 11. She wore an Oscar de la Renta gown and it really reminded people of what Grace Kelly, Princess of Monaco, once wore to her wedding as well. She later changed, of course, as all famous brides do, into a short, flirty Oscar de la Renta gown and then a third gown, which was a floor-length Galia La Havre dress. I really loved this wedding dress, like mm. this Oscar de la Renta long. It was so, the first thing I thought when I saw it was like, that is like a Grace Kelly gown. Yeah. It was beautiful. Apparently she was meant to be modeling it off her mother's gown as well. Yeah. Apparently it looked very, very similar. At right. least the neck and the sleeves and kind of like the top half of the dress was definitely at least inspired by her mother's gown. Right. And the bridesmaids were in these <laughs> um, <laughs> long pastel pink dresses that perhaps I didn't love as much. <laughs> Kendall Jenner should have taken a leaf out of this book. I um, Look, you, sometimes you win with bridesmaid dresses, sometimes you lose. <laughs> In fairness, I think bridesmaid dresses are hard to do well. So, you know, just it's hard. God help you when you have to be a bridesmaid at my wedding. Yeah, well, if you're not, as long as you're not putting me in the... Uh, Long floor length plastic piece will be okay. <laughs> so when it comes to Paris and Carter Room, they've actually reportedly been friends for 15 years. They reconnected in 2019 and actually emerged as a romantic couple after last year's Golden Globe Awards. So they haven't been dating forever, but what blows my mind whenever I think about Paris Hilton is that she's 40. She mm, looks no way. 15 years younger than that. I thought she was oh, she looks 15. <laughs> no, she looks she looks 25 yeah. still. Mm. But anyway, I feel like it's this point in your life, you don't need ages to work out who you want to spend the rest of your life with. No, absolutely. He did propose to her as well with a 20-carat emerald-cut diamond ring. It's apparently worth more than $2 million US, so do the maths for that one in Australian. The no, you. <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> do it for us. <laughs> 2.5-ish, let's go with that. So who attended this wedding? We had a pretty star-studded guest list that included Kim Kardashian, Nicole Richie, Emma Roberts, Bibi Rexa and more. Yeah, so we had German pop star Kim Petras who sung as she walked down the aisle. Demi Lovato actually performed a special rendition of I Will Always Love You. And what's really interesting about this coverage is there's been haters about the wedding itself, but in the wake of them getting married, there's been a bunch of reports that have come out talking about Carter's never before seen or heard of love child. Yeah. So this broke in page six and forgive us is a little bit trashy, but is 100% true. Carter Room does have a love child who is only seen once since she was born nine years ago. The public was not aware of this information until an anonymous source spoke to page six about it. <laughs> now, we can hazard a guess that that anonymous source is very, very close to the situation because a lot of the story seems to completely stack up and be accurate, so much so that a spokesperson for Carter Room responded very quickly. They said the people who this story matters to have known about it for 10 years. Carter supports this child. While he does not have a traditional father-daughter relationship with her, he has provided for her since she was born and will continue to do so. Yeah, so it will be interesting to work out or to find out if the fallout of this little sort of side scandal, and it's not like a big scandal at all. I don't even know if scandal is the right word, but will be documented on TV because the couple actually had their wedding filmed for Paris's upcoming Peacock TV series titled 
Paris in Love. Yeah, and that started airing the same day as the wedding. So surely some of this has been filmed and will be in that TV series. Yeah, let's see. My second story. Britney Spears hails the end of conservatorship as the best day ever. That is from SBS and it is finally here. A judge finally ended Britney's 13-year-long conservatorship on Friday. Yeah, so Los Angeles Superior Court Judge Brenda Penny said, effective today, the conservatorship of the person and the estate of Britney Jean Spears is hereby terminated. Britney did not attend in court, but she did write on Instagram, good God, I love my fans so much. It's crazy. I think I'm going to cry the rest of the day. Best day ever. Praise the Lord. Can I get an amen? What an epic story that has been fueled and pushed forward by Britney's fans. Well, I think one conversation we have on this podcast a lot is stand power or the power of stands and how often that can be used in a way that we find particularly damaging. But this is one of the key examples of what really passionate fans can do when they feel like something is awry mm. and it was awry. So the Free Britney movement actually started with a protest back in April 2019. What fans did is they gathered outside the West Hollywood City Hall and they held signs that read, the truth will set her free and hashtag free Britney. Now, according to Billboard, this was so quiet, this story, that it was not immediately clear to most of the world what they were trying to free the singer from. That is just over two and a half years ago that no one had any idea really that this was going on. It is just so profoundly impressive, not just what these fans have been able to do, but how relatively quickly they've been able to do it in two and a half years from the world, not really knowing what Britney was living under to having all the information in the world Mm. about what her last 13 years have looked like. I also think a bunch of those fans would have dealt with a bit of judgment in the early days. Before people knew what was really going on, they would have been regarded as like semi-crazed fans who are obsessing over a silly celebrity story. But look at them now. They've actually been seminal in freeing a woman from one of the most restrictive awful conditions that we can really remember in history, celebrity history. Also, in the wake of this Britney Spears story and in the wake of Paris Hilton's wedding, we haven't even got to Lindsay Lohan as well, another sort of key player in that era who also made headlines this weekend because a sneak peek of a new movie she's starring in, a Christmas movie no less, has just been released and that's going to be on Netflix. Yeah, I was so excited for like a 2021 Christmas film on Netflix and then I read into it and this isn't being released We think there's no real clear date yet, but we think it's not being released on Netflix till the end of next year or like festive season next year. But regardless, is there anything more wholesome in terms of a career pivot or a career comeback than a Christmas movie for Lindsay Lohan? Yeah, so true. And also we've mentioned Bimbo Summit in some of the like teasers and the intro today. If you're not familiar with that, Bimbo Summit was kind of the moniker that the New York Post, the tabloid in America, gave to the trio of Paris Hilton, Lindsay Lohan and Britney Spears. And I think a lot of people are saying, wow, look at the Bimbo Summit in 2021. It's a bit tongue in cheek to say we all derided these women for so long. The media effectively ruined some of their lives, particularly in the mid noughties. Look at them now, 15 years later after that 2006 headline, we're seeing them 
them and they're back. They're back in a really big way. 100%. Also, at that time when that headline was published, Newsweek actually conducted a poll which said 77% of American adults thought those three women had too much influence over the younger generation. And all three of these women, although they have their various flaws, have been in various ways misunderstood. Yeah, it's really good to see their comebacks. Yeah, my third story. Love Island viewers are truly baffled by Jess and Aaron's nipple slip breakup. (laughs) That is from Punky. Michelle Andrews, take it away. (laughs) The official shameless Love Island correspondent is here to explain this story. Annabelle, I'm going to hazard a guess you are not watching Love Island Australia. (laughs) You guessed correctly. (laughs) Zara, you've been dipping in and out. Yeah, I know some of the characters or the characters, the the people, contestants. So Jess and Aaron are two contestants who have been on the show for a very long time. They've got one of the longest standing relationships in the show. Last week, and it's kind of filtered and bubbled into this week as well, what was interesting is that the longest standing couple who had just announced that they were exclusive and falling in love with each other had the most ridiculous fight ever. So basically this all began when Jess was dancing around the fire pit, as they do in Love Island, and was wearing quite a revealing top and one of her boobs kind of fell out of the side. So she had a bit of like a nip slip moment. Aaron did not see this. Aaron wasn't really paying attention. But later on around the fire pit where all the couples were talking and kind of yelling out to each other and it was very noisy, Jess whispered to Aaron what had happened. And at least to my interpretation of events, Aaron either didn't hear her or pretended to hear what she said. That classic like, oh, yeah. (laughs) But like couldn't actually be like, I have not been paying attention to a word you said. So his face looked very blank to me. Jess interpreted that as Aaron giving her a judgmental glare, like looking at her to be like, how dare you have nipples (laughs) and how dare they be revealed around the fire pit. Now, what erupted was one of the biggest fights on Love Island ever. We had probably one of the strongest, if not the strongest couple go from being madly in love with each other, obsessing over each other to within 24 hours, Aaron threatening to walk off the show. And this caused a huge ripple effect on social media because I think for the first time that I can remember anyway, we saw an extremely toxic relationship dynamic unfold, but the woman was the really toxic one. Jess's actions and the way she kind of gaslighted Aaron, I would say, to convince him that he had done something wrong, to convince him that he was judging her when I don't think he was at all. It was super, super interesting. I really do want to watch this snippet from the show. Mm. I also want to look at his look and see what <laughs> I find. But I think that's so bang on. I think one type of gaslighting or one type of toxic relationship that we don't really speak of as much is when the woman is gaslighting by kind of concocting a scenario that really didn't exist and this fight just sort of snowballs mm. out of nowhere and then suddenly all this tension is just like enveloping the entire relationship. It is really interesting. It is just one of those things where... I really hope people watching know that and don't kind of validate themselves by thinking, well, that's how other relationships look. So therefore I'm allowed to take out my small, tiny frustrations on my partner in the same way that Jess has with Aaron. I think it was also sad because when I saw that Aaron said, I've had enough of this, I'm being treated really badly, I'm going to leave the show. My partner and I were so excited because we were like, hell yeah, what a statement. Like it is so impressive to see someone be treated that way for 24 or 48 hours and go, you know what, I'm not putting up with this shit. Like I do not feel like myself. I feel like I'm being mistreated. I'm going to leave. And what was difficult to see for me at least was to see him say I'm leaving the show and as he's packing his bags – 
that relationship start up again. Like it kind of went through this cycle of, oh, we've had this massive crash, but now we're saying that we need to forgive each other and we need to move past it and we're going to get back into the relationship again. So Aaron is still on the show. He's ostensibly back with Jess. So he did the toxic thing as well of putting out this great big red herring or great big like threat to be like I'm going to do the big thing and then she comes running back. Potentially which makes them both toxic. Oh I would my say. god no. I'm tired. But I was so impressed until I realised he wasn't leaving and maybe he wasn't serious about that to begin with and then I was just looking at it being like you guys are probably doomed in my mind. Like it's probably going to end up in a car crash again and again. Yeah my fourth story. Truth about Bachelorette stars Beck and Carissa's romance. That is from news.com Mish this is a super confusing story out of The Bachelorette this week. Yeah, because transparently with the listeners, when we got into the studio this morning to record this episode, we thought we would be talking to you about a different angle on Beck and Carissa from this year's season of The Bachelorette. If you've missed it, these were two contestants who are vying for Brooke Blurden's heart and a post that went up on Instagram yesterday gave just about everyone a very clear impression that they were romantically involved. Yeah, exactly. So contestant Becca posted this on Instagram under a photo of the two of them kind of cuddling on the beach. She wrote... Words cannot express how much you mean to me. To think I've only had you in my life for five months is insane because I can't imagine it without you now. I love you to the moon and back. Carissa also posted a few weeks ago about Becca as well. She posted a photo of the two of them at the Bachelorette Mansion and captioned it, endlessly grateful to have met this one. Now, naturally, as these posts went up, headlines came being like, oh, we didn't realise that these two were dating. Yeah, and the comments section was absolutely that. There were even some prominent Australian personalities commenting about how happy they were that these two women had kind of gone public with their relationship status. Really surprisingly and really confusingly, on Wednesday, we had a retraction and a correction. Becca posted another Instagram post of Carissa with a statement. It read, I'm so sorry to disappoint you all. At this stage, Carissa Croft and I are just very close friends. She's going off to work on yachts, so my previous post is a gesture of my love and appreciation for her and our friendship after saying our goodbyes. Timing doesn't always work out, but you never know what the future holds and I'll be forever grateful to have her in my life. See you in three months, baby. I encourage everyone to openly celebrate, love and appreciate those close to them. It then had a rainbow emoji. And I wonder what's being said here. Like, is Becca saying we were dating, but now's not the time to be like girlfriends? Or is she saying we're friends, but maybe we have a crush on each other and there's potential? Or is she saying we're just friends? I think the first one, I think she's saying that they were dating for a little bit. Carissa's going away for a while. So they're not kind of pursuing it. They're pushing pause, but never say never. They might come back together. I wonder if they were surprised by the, like the amount of media attention this got yesterday, because this had every major media publication in the country writing about them. Maybe because the relationship is fresh, they're going to have this distance away from each other, this time away from each other. Maybe they don't want to be too forthright with their relationship status because it adds like pressure. So maybe they're trying to take the pressure off themselves and go about this more quietly. I think that's exactly it. And my fifth and final story, Selena Gomez fans go wild again over internet theory that she's dating Chris Evans after she's pictured wearing a chunky sweater just like the one he wore in... Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that is from the Daily Mail. Have either of you watched the no. movie? No. God damn. Remember that time I promised? 
promised everyone I'd watch it within the next two weeks and then I never do. It's literally never going to happen. You can just let go of the dream. I'm still intrigued though. (laughs) Selena Gomez. She'll never close the door fully. (laughs) No, 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 never fully close. Selena Gomez appeared on Taylor Swift's Instagram stories and TikTok this week because she was backstage at Saturday Night Live with her. Now, in that video, the 29-year-old was wearing this chunky cream-coloured cable knit sweater. It's a pretty general sweater, I will say. <laughs> it's and got cricketer vibes. Yeah, absolute uh-huh. cricketer vibes, like Richie Benno vibes. Yeah, too niche of a reference. No, no <laughs> for me it is. Knives <laughs> <laughs> out is too niche for us. <laughs> Richie Benno, though, not. <laughs> anyway, apparently fans were sure that this was a subtle nod to Evans's infamous, apparently, Knives Out character who wore a sweater in that movie. Now, Annabelle, I have to throw to you, was this a sweater that he wore once? Is this a sweater that he wears throughout the movie? Well, the movie's only over like a couple of days, spans over a couple of days, but I can picture it on you. (laughs) Does he re-wear the sweater or is it just one of the days he's wearing the cable knit sweater? Maybe one of the days? I don't even remember. I have seen the movie three times. (laughs) You've seen it three times? (laughs) Does the sweater become a plot point at any point? (laughs) Yes. Oh, okay. No, it doesn't. That was a joke. (laughs) It doesn't. No, it doesn't. That wasn't a good joke at all. (laughs) Anyway, suddenly Selena Gomez is wearing a cream sweater. Chris Evans once wore a sweater and so everyone assumes they're dating. Now, in case you have missed this entire thing, rumours have been swirling since October that these two were dating after they were spotted leaving the same studio in LA and then days later they were photographed at the same restaurant in the city. People are obsessed with the idea of these two dating. It was very funny. I think later that same month, some I don't know if you guys saw this on TikTok, but some eagle-eyed TikTok user was looking at a video of Chris Evans playing the piano and was trying to look in the reflection of the piano to see who was filming the video and concluded that it was a brunette and therefore must be <laughs> Selena Gomez. I love how much people are holding on to this theory because it began on TikTok with people seeing the sweater and going, that is Chris Evans' sweater. Like she's wearing her potentially boyfriend's sweater. That was debunked because people started to really look at the photos side by side and go, wait, they're similar. But I love that the Daily Mail was like, right about it anyway. Yeah. Like, it's definitely not the same sweater, but let's not let the ridiculous rumour die. Yeah, but I'm kind of all for it because these two actually do seem like a nice couple. I mean, I have said on the record before on this podcast that I know very little about Chris <laughs> Evans. In fact, we said we knew so little about Chris Evans that like six months ago it was the first time we were ever going to speak about him or were ever speaking about him on the podcast. Everybody messaged us, gaslighting us, telling us that we had spoken about him before. I went through all our episode run sheets. I went through all our, I didn't actually go through all our recordings, but I looked through some of our recordings. I don't think we ever did. No, we don't care about Chris Evans. I'm so sorry. I I do kind of care about him and Selena Gomez though. Yeah, well, I care a lot about Selena Gomez, so I will naturally care about who she's dating. Chris Evans on his own. I'll leave it anyway, thanks. Do we think they're dating because of the sweater? No. No, wouldn't the sweater have been like a costume prop thing from the movie? This is insulting to my intelligence. (laughs) No, they're not dating. Well, at least if they're dating, them wearing a slightly similar sweater one time in their lives is not proof of anything. I think I've been on TikTok too much with Taylor Swift (laughs) Easter eggs where I think now every single thing ever is an Easter egg. Anyway, that is all I've got for you. Thank you so much. Ow! Oh, no!
This week, Taylor Swift released her iconic 2012 album, Red. Perhaps the most talked about layer of all of this was the brand new 10-minute version of her most critically acclaimed song, All Too Well, with a complimentary short film. That film and that song track the love story and heartbreak between Taylor and her 2010 ex, Jake Gyllenhaal. But this release has been so successful and so powerful that there's not just renewed interest in Jake Gyllenhaal's actions 11 years ago, but also a renewed hatred for the man that reportedly broke our golden girl's heart. Zara, let's start with Red, Taylor's version, and the cultural significance of All Too Well. There is that much to unpack here about one song. It is unbelievable, and I'm so excited to talk about it all. Now... As we know, Taylor Swift is re-recording her back catalogue of music because she no longer owns the rights to her original track. So she has already re-recorded and released Fearless. That was her 2008 album. Late last week, she re-released Red, her 2012 album, that in many ways, I think for Taylor Swift fans, this is their favourite album. Do you think Mm. that's too much of a generalisation? If it's not their favourite album as a Swift fan, I would say it's the most nostalgic one because I think it's the album that made a lot of us either discover Taylor Swift or truly madly deeply fall in love with Taylor Swift. I think it's widely regarded as a classic album. Mm. I think that's the best way to put it. So the re-release was totally epic. Taylor broke her own record for the most streamed Spotify album in a single day by a female. And to think that someone can do that with an album that all of us basically already know already is insane. How much we want to hear the same songs again, just re-release. Yeah, she added a few songs at the end, like there are 30 songs on this album, but none of those songs have really commanded the same attention as the re-released records and songs that we already know and love. I think as well, All Too Well is such a cultural phenomenon because it has such a pure place in the heart of every Taylor Swift fan. All Too Well is a song that was like never released as a single by Taylor Swift. It was never given a music video or a lot of press or attention at the time of Red coming out in 2012, but it has been one of the greatest sleeper hits of the 2010s. Yeah, and I think the reason that people have gone so nuts over this song particularly is because she's released that 10-minute version of the song like she's played right into the hearts of her fans and I just don't think you can deny the cultural hold that this song has over a certain demographic of people there was a really interesting piece in the New York Times written by Lindsay Zolids who said and I loved this line so much with all the fanfare around the release of the extended track a certain shared intimacy was about to be lost too all too well has been more of a communal secret than a hit Mm. I loved that a lot because I think when it comes to that song, it feels very much like people formed their own personal relationships with it and what it meant for them and then kind of looked around and was like, wait, everybody else loves that song too and everybody else feels like emotionally connected to that song too. And so... I think that's what I love so much about it is it's like, oh, we all fell in love with it individually without it being shoved down our throats maybe. Yeah, we all just fell in love with it because it's a really bloody good song and the lyrics are like the best lyrics ever. Do you like All Too Well, Annabelle? I do, but when it was first released in 2012, I didn't really love it because I couldn't relate to it. But since then I've like gone through heartbreak and now I love it. I think there (laughs) is something about that. I 
binged this song, not when it was released, but maybe a year or two later in the wake of a breakup. And I think what's so interesting about the re-release of this song is it's allowing a whole lot of people to go back in time. It's like a time machine, I think, to consider like their past selves and like the heartbreak that consumed them at that time. And instead of feeling shame for the way we maybe mourned relationships for years after they ended, I think what it does is it's giving all these people permission to not be embarrassed about how they felt Mm. for so long. I think if there's one thing that young 20-somethings are made to feel embarrassed about is how sad often they feel about heartbreak and how kind of in their own minds they are about it. And I think for a lot of people it's inspiring like a lot of thought about their younger selves and inspiring a lot of compassion for younger selves being like, fuck, I was really sad for a long time. And that wasn't just like frivolous shit. Like that was stuff that actually I was probably too hard on myself about. Yeah, it also really goes against that idea that if a relationship is short, like timeline short, only goes for a few months, you shouldn't care much about it or you should move on quickly. Like it really backs anyone who feels heartbroken over a relationship that only spend maybe three or four months and we know now that that is probably the time span of the relationship between Taylor and Jake Gyllenhaal. It's also a song that has been in my top, you know when you get Spotify wrapped? Yeah. It has been in my top songs every single year that we have done wrapped and I'm sure it will be the top song again this year because I just love it so much. And it's not just the fans who love All Too Well. All Too Well is critically acclaimed. It's recognised as one of the best songs of all time by Rolling Stone. When they collect a list of the top 500 songs of all time earlier this year, All Too Well was listed at 69. So I think a lot of people would be foolish to discard of this song as just like silly young women's business. This is just a fucking good song. Well, I think that's what's been so wonderful about having my entire TikTok feed and my entire social media feed dedicated to this song over the weekend is like nobody has any shame or embarrassment about any of it anymore. And I feel like we probably would have maybe five years ago. I also think with that sort of time machine element of this song, so many of us are looking back on old dynamics and relationships and have thought perhaps if it's not exactly the same dynamic that Taylor had with Jake Gyllenhaal, did I really put up with more than I gave myself credit for? And with that in mind, all of that anger and all of that sadness really does make a lot of sense. And again, I probably should have been more gentle on myself. Yeah. On top of all of this, we also saw anger and that kind of relationship tension and that pure, raw, unadulterated heartbreak play out on the all-too-well short film. Like Taylor Swift has been a very busy girl. She directed and starred in her all-too-well short film, which has been viewed more than 30 million times in three days. It stars Sadie Sink and Dylan O'Brien and at the very, very end, a redhead Taylor Swift. Have we all watched? Zara, I know you've watched. Oh, yeah, I watched the hell out of it. Yeah, (laughs) I loved it. I loved it. But I did text you in the last sort of two minutes and I was like, why? (laughs) It just, it ended a bit flat for me. I The only, look, let me say, the first 99% of this, 10 out of 10, cannot fault, masterpiece level of adoration coming out of me. Like I watched this with my sister and our jaws were on the floor because we were just like so entranced in this short film. Epic, amazing, Sadie Sink and Dylan O'Brien, like hats off to you. Redhead Taylor Swift, hat off to you. You looked stunning, great work, whatever. But when that camera panned out (laughs) and I saw that man donned in a red scarf, 
I laughed. I looked at him like this is like that's just a ridiculous way and such a saccharine it's, way to end this. And I say that as a fucking huge Taylor Swift fan. I totally agree. I think it was too saccharine for me. I think they it just was that element too much. That said, what I loved about this film is watching it and knowing that Taylor wrote it and directed it. I was like, I really do wonder if this is just her visual representation of her relationship with Jake Gyllenhaal. I mean, we know that they got together in October 2010. They split after three months together. And of particular note and of particular topic of conversation now is their age gap. Taylor was 20 when they started dating. Jake was 29. Now, very curiously, or perhaps not so curiously, they are the exact ages of Sadie Sink and Dylan O'Brien, the actors that played the pair. They sync up. So literally, Sadie Sink sinks up. I didn't even mean that. I wish I did. But I think it's allowing people to have this sort of visual representation of this power dynamic and to look at it and not just have the song but people acting it out so they can really see perhaps that Taylor Swift experience. Yeah. One thing I noticed when I watched the film back as well was the order of the scenes. I think there has always been a huge question mark over what broke up Taylor and Jake Gyllenhaal. I mean, back at the time when this all happened, back in 2011, early 2011, when stories broke that they had split, Taylor's PR team did a lot to push the narrative that Jake ended it and Taylor was completely blindsided and completely heartbroken and shattered by the whole experience. But we never really got an insight as to what when he broke up with her, why he broke up with her, what exactly went down. I think as a Taylor Swift fan, nothing is ever accidental. Like she's extremely intentional with everything she does. And in the short film, the couple has sex for the first time, or at least it's the first time we've seen them have sex. And it's a really romantic, lovely moment. And the next scene immediately after is of Jake Gyllenhaal in that bed with her wearing his shirt, breaking up with her. And if I know Taylor Swift and if I'm a fan like I know that I am, I think she's trying to tell us that that awful crushing feeling of sleeping with someone and then having them break up with you incredibly soon after is probably exactly what happened with Jake Gyllenhaal. Yes, and exactly why it took her so long to get over. I think you're absolutely right. I think that's definitely what she's trying to tell us. And I think that's all exacerbated by the fact that they were nearly 10 years apart. And I think that would do really interesting things to your psyche and really interesting things to your self-esteem going back into the dating world after having a relationship that quickly Mm. fall apart like Mm. it would be really hard to come to terms with I do want to have a conversation about Jake being the center of all of this some 10 years on because I think that that is a conversation that people are trying to have and not many people know how to have it I mean here's how I feel about it I don't endorse anyone going to Jake Gyllenhaal's profile and commenting on photos and abusing him. I don't endorse stuff we're seeing on TikTok where LA clubs are playing the song all too well and then on TV screens around the club have just like clips of Jake Gyllenhaal crying from various movies. That stuff just feels like distracting and annoying and a bit gross. But what I do feel like is that if Taylor Swift wants to tell this story, then naturally I don't think you can tell that story without sometimes telling the story of other people and other people being, I guess, dragged into that. 
any important story kind of does demand that you have a little bit of context to understand it fully. He isn't accused of anything more, at least that we know, than maybe gaslighting and misunderstanding the power dynamic. But it's still a really delicate story, I think, that is really worthy of a public narrative right now because I think it's helping a lot of women come to terms with perhaps relationships they've been in themselves. And how do we have that conversation without him? I just fundamentally don't believe we can. And so shouldn't all men who engage in these kinds of relationships and unknowingly do this kind of damage, even if it's not the worst damage in the world, it is still damage, be held to account? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I think when this all first happened and I saw Jake Gyllenhaal be dragged through the internet mud over it, a part of my brain was saying, well, this was a relationship he was in 11 years ago. It went for three months. Like, is it unfair for him to cop flack for it now when it was so, so long ago? But then as soon as I start to think that, I go, well, no, you should be responsible that if you're making women feel like they don't have any power in a relationship, if you're making someone feel inferior to you because of an age dynamic, if you are kind of reinforcing the very patriarchal standards that you say that you rally against on your keychain, you do deserve to have that spoken about. Taylor Swift wasn't unfair in her lyrics. She wasn't nasty. She just spoke about the pain that that relationship caused her. And I think there was a passage from the New York Times that you brought up, Zara, that really stuck out to me. They wrote, all too well parallels the emotional work that many women have been privately undertaking in the wake of the Me Too movement. Looking back on past encounters or relationships that left them with a seemingly outsized feeling of unease. Wondering what exactly constitutes ex exploitation or emotional abuse, wishing they could go back and extend some compassion or wisdom to their vulnerable younger selves. I think it's exactly that. I think it's one of those scenarios where you see a lot of jokes thrown around in memes at the moment with like men being like, what the hell did Jake Gyllenhaal do? And it's like, (laughs) not a heap, I guess, at face value, but perhaps it doesn't feel like much at face value because it's such a common experience and that's exactly why we need to be talking about it and that's exactly why, unfortunately, he's here being made an example of. Again, he shouldn't be trolled and he shouldn't be – his girlfriend should not have to be turning her comments off on her Instagram. That goes without saying. But Taylor Swift should be allowed to tell this story and actually probably needs to tell this story with him in it. I mean, one thing we know for sure about Taylor Swift is she knows how to keep us talking. She knows how to get us to sift through everything she does, be it lyrics, be it video clips, be it, you know, her Instagram posts for Easter eggs about things. She wants us to be thinking about things this deeply and she wants to be telling us a story without telling it explicitly. So I think we're just doing what she wants. Yeah. She asked us. (laughs) And the fact that this is the number one song around the world right now, it's number one on the global Spotify charts, is testament to Taylor's ability to nail the feelings that so many millions of people, particularly women around the world, have but haven't been able to find the words for. Like she can find the words for those feelings that we can't articulate ourselves. And that's why this song is so huge 11 years after it was actually written. She wrote this immediately after the breakup with Jake. It was released, yes, in 2012. But it is massive right now for a reason, and that's because she's been able to quantify a feeling that so many of us have experienced but haven't been able to speak about. Yeah, I think that is all we've got time for today. I cannot wait to hear all of your thoughts on so much of this. I feel like there's just been so much in today's episode. As always, we are on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. And as always, 
Keep an eye on our stories tomorrow. That is Friday if you are listening on Thursday where we do Your Safe Friday and you can weigh in on these conversations. Yeah, and also, as we said at the top of the episode, take a screenshot of your podcast app, take a photo of where you're listening, tag Shameless Podcast and go in the running to win $500 for your festive shopping. How good you are. So welcome, guys. Thanks so much for that. We will be back in your ears on Monday for another episode of Scandal. Annabelle Lee, anything to add? No. Do you think so? (laughs) Bye. Bye. That was so yelly. <laughs> Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.